good singing, you may be seated. Edward, come ahead. That is one of the grandest of the grand old hymns of the faith. How many of you had never heard that one before, sang that one before? Wow. Uh, just a glorious old hymn. That's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, Jesus Christ, the founder of everything. Um, you'll see in your notes, those of you who have notes, right at the beginning I make a statement. It is in Christ that we know who we are and what we live for. And if you look at, by the way, we're going to spend a lot of time, all our time this evening in Ephesians. Uh, two of the most remarkable life-transforming letters ever written are Ephesians and Colossians, just extraordinary for what they contain. And Ephesians is overflowing with uh, the wisdom of God and the blessing of God, the truth of God. And if you can master those two books, Ephesians and Colossians, you'll be a whole lot closer to the Lord than when you began. I'm not sure we'd ever reach the end because the depths of it are so deep. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, it tells us what our purpose is, what we live for, that we should be to the praise of his glory. That's the purpose for our, our living. That's why we're on this earth. That's what God plans for us to be, to the praise of his glory. And anything else we do is merely a distraction. In the first message in this series, we noted that we shouldn't be surprised by trials that come our way as Christians. We should be inspired instead by the Apostle Paul, who didn't look for relief from his trials, but discovered power to triumph over them in the strength of God's indwelling spirit. In the second message, we noted that the Apostle Paul viewed his triumph despite his sufferings, as a message to unbelievers about the reality of the indwelling resurrection power of his Savior. His sufferings were to fulfill the word of God by bringing forth Christ in others so that, that they in turn could bring forth Christ in others. To fulfill the word of God, that phrase literally means our brokenness releases God's blessings. It's the the picture of the broken vessel that releases the light. It's the picture of the dead lion that brings forth the sweetness of honey. It's us being broken on the cross of Christ, our old flesh dying so that Jesus can live through us and change the world around us. And his purpose isn't just that we would multiply ourselves, but that the more we are, the more we come together as one in a body like this one. Churches like this are God's part of God's explicit purpose on this earth and probably a great tragedy uh, when we get to heaven one day and look back will be to see how few in this vast world of ours how very few churches live up to God's expectation for them. Uh, the ultimate objective for each of us is not merely to see Christ replicated in many individuals, but for the many to become one, to bring forth a complete 
mature, glorious body of Christ made up of many individuals, that a group like this would become one, united in Jesus Christ, so that his light can shine through us more than could possibly contained in one of us, but can be contained in all of us. In the third message, we looked at the experience of glorious fellowship in the body of Christ, a fellowship of the beloved, of burning hearts, of broken hearts, and of bountiful hearts. That was last week. Tonight's message, we're going to mine the treasure of truth that we find in the letter to the Ephesians. We're going to see the elements of life within the church and the responsibilities of each of us to ensure that together we, we may experience the collective fullness, glory, and power that God desires to reveal within and through the body. And as I often comment, uh, I just feel the, the immensity of the privilege to be a part of a body like this, where a message like this can be shared. Uh, there are not a lot of churches where you could say these things and be understood by the people who are listening. But this church is receptive and open and hungry, and that's why I'm convinced, as I say often, that God is going to do something very special here. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Father, please bless us this evening. We thank you for the multitude of your blessings each day. We thank you for the beauty of Jesus. As we sang in that wonderful old hymn, the church is one foundation. And we're in this mystic, sweet communion with him, with one another, with your Holy Spirit. And what a glorious thing it is. May we never take it for granted. May we never stop appreciating every moment we have with you on this earth. And then we step into eternity and inherit everything. How fortunate we are. Bless us tonight, Lord, as we eat your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first step in creating this unity, in bringing it to bear, bringing it to fruition, is to know God's provision. Uh, we're not, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures, but I do want to read a representative passage as we make our way through Ephesians. And so we'll begin by reading together chapter 1 from verse 3 to verse 14. And then I'm going to comment on it. There are um, 16 points that Paul makes in the first two chapters of Ephesians, and most of them are here in the first chapter, 16 different things that he tells us about that God has made provision for us in order to form the body of Christ. And it's all glorious. So in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And I've commented before that the word prudence means the ability to govern yourself using reason, the mind of Christ. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, uh, that phrase means when time comes to an end, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an, an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. One of the remarkable things as you read this, it's telling us about all the things God plans to do and every now and again he reminds us oh and I'm including you in all this you're a, you're a part of this this isn't just a plan of mine that I want to tell you about and you gaze in awe and say wow that's wonderful no I'm, I'm this is for us God and us to participate in verse 12 that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest of our inheritance, the down payment on our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. We must know God's provision before we're able to properly function. So let's see what, he, what's he's, provi what he's provided for us. We learn in verse 3, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. We can't even imagine what that means, but it means something wonderful. Secondly, in verse 4, he chose us. He selected us. Verse 5, he predestinated us unto the adoption of children unto himself. Before the world was created, God already had a plan. And that plan was to include us. Whoever came to Jesus is the us. Whoever turned to Jesus and received salvation was automatically included in this incredible plan. Predestined to be adopted by God as his very own children. In verse 6, he tells us he's accepted us. I don't know about you. If you've led an exemplary life, maybe it doesn't affect you as much, but when I look back at my life, every time I read this, it just leaves me stunned, speechless, that God, my creator, could say to me, I've accepted you. It's just, it's unbelievable. But it's true, and it's wonderful. Verse 7, he's redeemed us. He brought us back with his own blood from the clutches of Satan. Also in verse 7, he forgave our sins. Verse 9, he made known unto us the mystery of his will. Who are, I mean, we're talking about God. Why would God care? Why would God do that? To share the mystery of his will with you and I, as if we're somehow important to him. And of course we are. The moment 
we turn to Jesus and accept his sacrifice on our behalf, we become eternally important to the God of heaven. And he makes known unto us the mystery of his will. And then in verse 11, he makes us joint heirs with Christ. So we stand at, when we stand in front of God at his throne, we stand on an equal footing with Jesus Christ himself. There is no distance between us. There is no space between us. Jesus and me and you are equal before the throne of God. And in verse 13 and 14, he gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit to guarantee what he's telling us is true. Yes, we are going to stand in front of that throne. And yes, we will be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And yes, we will share in his glory and his power and whatever else he has for us. Chapter 2 and verse 5, he tells us he made us alive with Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 6, he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As we live on this earth, as we walk on this earth, we contain within us the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that right now is in heaven. And as I've told you before, I, I think I get to it later in this message, but I may as well mention it now. Uh, I firmly believe heaven is not some far-off place. It's not some planet out in in the universe somewhere. It's not in some corner of, of the universe. Heaven is right here. It's not, a, it's not a place. It's a dimension. It's a different dimension. When the Bible tells us we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, that's what it means. They're all right here. They can see us. We can't see them. And by the way, you shouldn't try and see them. Uh, but it's comforting to know they're right here. Um, and he's, he's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Right here. Chapter 2 and verse 8, he saved us by his grace. Chapter 2 and verse 13, he brought us close to him by the blood of Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 18, he gave us access to the Father. Uh, elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us to come boldly into his presence. When you, when you read the Old Testament, and that's one of the reasons the law is there and the Old Testament stories are there, and Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where it tells us about the, the creation of the tabernacle and tabernacle worship and the intricacy of it and the fear that the people have had of coming too close to God, all that is there for us to study and to absorb and to understand they were terrified of coming into God's presence. And he looks at you and me and he says, come boldly into my presence. Anytime you want to just walk right in and ask me anything you want. I love you. I want to spend time with you. He made us fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Chapter 2 and verse 19 and chapter 2 and verse 22, he is building us together so that he can live in us by his spirit. He can live in us as a collective body made one. So that's his provision for us. Well, let's look then at God's purpose. Why did God provide so many wonderful things for us? Well, 
I'm glad you asked because he tells us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. When he looks at us, part of his purpose is that he looks at us at com as complete and holy and set apart to him. He looks at us and we don't have a single spot or wrinkle. He looks at us and he smiles with joy because we are shiny and perfect in his sight. His purpose in chapter 1 and verse 10 that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Christ the sum of all spiritual things. In the spiritual world there is nothing else but Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1 and verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. His provision for us is incredible. Chapter 2 and verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ. Just think about what that is. If, if that was all he's given us, it would be enough that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. He wants to just lavish his love on us, lavish his blessings on us, give us everything that he can in gratitude for one thing. There was a day in our lives when we turned to him and said, I want Jesus to save me, and I'm grateful he saved me. That's all we've ever done. And we get all of this in return from our Heavenly Father. Well, that brings us to the next point. What's his ultimate plan with us? That he's doing all this for us. What's the end goal? God's purpose extends far beyond this world and this life. In chapter 3 and verse 10, he says this, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The last message in the series we're going to talk about educating the watchers. We are surrounded by them in the spirit world. And they look with great interest at us and how we live our lives and how we come together as a body and what we do as the body of Christ. They're fascinated by what we're doing. We're educating them about one thing, how wonderful God is, that he could take such an unlikely group of people and do such wonderful things with us. It speaks to his glory, his magnificence, his holiness, his goodness, his kindness. Every good and perfect thing about God is reflected in our lives as we walk this earth and grow in him and turn like sunflowers constantly to the sun and worship him. The plan is that the many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety might be made known through the church, the ecclesia, the called-out ones, called out from this present evil world to the angelic rulers and authority in the heavenly sphere. They are watching us and learning about the glory of God. Chapter 3 and verse 21, Unto him! Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. I guess that means while the world exists because in the next life there is no time. 
but maybe throughout all ages, for eternity, whatever is out there will be marveling at what God has done in us and through us by Christ Jesus. And so that brings us then to an assessment of God's power. How do we know this is all going to happen? How do we know it can happen? Well, he tells us God's purpose is guaranteed by God's power. You can bet your life on the fact that this is going to happen exactly as God says it's going to happen in every detail. Chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. We know what is the hope of his calling and what the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. When Je Jesus lay in that tomb for three days, and then God raised him up by his own power, and he walked out in his glorified body. That power, that manifest power, dwells in us. That's our guarantee. It's all going to happen just as he says it is. If you're saved, you have that power in you. Chapter 3 and verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit. Are you feeling weak this evening? Do you feel a little lost? Do you feel a little bit afraid about what's happening in the world round about us? He's already given you according to the riches of his glory, the strength of his mighty spirit. Why? Verse, chapter 4 and verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That means the day will come when you and I are identical to Jesus Christ. How can we even imagine what that means? But he tells us that's what's going to happen. You know, there's two marvelous little vignettes in uh, uh, the, the Revelation, verse, chapter 19 and chapter 21, where John the apostle, who knew Jesus better than any of the other apostles, the, the apostle that Jesus loved, he's being shown around heaven by an angel, and he just is so overwhelmed by what he sees. By the way, you can look this up for yourself. It really is in the Bible. He falls down to worship the angel. And the angel bends down and says, Hey, stand up, man. Don't, don't worship me. I'm your brother. Worship Jesus. John, looking at that angel, thought it was Jesus in all his glory. And then just in case you think, well, that was a mistake, a little slip, a chapter later, exactly the same thing happens. A different angel is showing him different things in heaven, and John is overwhelmed by the glory of it all, and he falls at his feet to worship him, and the angel says, Stand up, don't worship me, I'm your brother. That's what it's going to be like, folks. When Romans 8, 28 and 29 tells us that he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that's what's going to happen. It's glorious. 
It's wonderful. Chapter 6 and verse 10 tells us, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then we should know God's purity. Because we have this power in us, because we have so much that we've inherited, the one motivating thing in, his li in our life is, should be to be pure. And the flesh fights that so much every day. The flesh wants to drag us down. The flesh, there is so much horrible stuff in the world around us, and it drags on us every day. You can't look anywhere. You can't listen anywhere without being bombarded by the filthiness of this present evil world. And he tells us what to avoid and what to do. So let's look at those very quickly. In chapter 4 and verse 14, we'll begin there. What to avoid. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Stick with the book. Don't listen to some false prophet try and mislead you. Verse 17 to 19. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of of their mind, the futility of their thinking, having the understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And then verse 28 to 31. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good, that he might have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of your redemption. Hallelujah. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then chapter 5 from verse 3 to verse 7. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Every time I look at the news and some new horror is uncovered, I think of these scriptures. Those people are going to pay a price that they can't even imagine. And they, at the moment, flaunt their wickedness. But the day will come when they will pay. Verse 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Well, that's what we shouldn't do. Let's see what we should do. 
Back to the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh, that's something we should be committed to. Maintain the unity in this body. Maintain the love that is evident in this body. Maintain the goodness that is in this body the life of Christ that we share in every time we come together, maintain that. Don't let it slip away. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. And verse 15 to 22. See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Make use of the time that you have to walk with God, to read his word, to pray because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things, and to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Hallelujah. What we shouldn't do, what we should do. It's all there. It's mapped out for us. And then to crown it all, we can know Having done all these things, having absorbed this book, having feasted on it, having believed it, having matured in it, we can know the joy of fellowship. We in this body of Christ are a varied group of people that know surprisingly little about each other. As I look around this congregation, Wednesday nights, Sundays, uh, morning and evening, I'm aware of two things, a love for you and really how little I know about you, what, what you like, what you dislike, who you are, what your background is, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what your trials are. We know really very little about each other. But we have spiritual things in common that bind us closely together a hunger for God's word, 
a thirst for God himself, a commitment to personal inner righteousness, a real awareness of eternity and a desire for certainty in an uncertain world. I'm convinced every single member of this church shares those characteristics. That's what's make, that is what makes us so special. Whatever else may happen in the world, this is one place where things don't change. For 14 years, nothing has changed here. There have been no new doctrines, no new discoveries, no new revelations. Just the same old word every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. You can go back and listen to sermons from 14 years ago. They sound like sermons today. Hallelujah for that. The God we serve and experience and learn about and hear from is the same God who spoke to Abraham 4,000 years ago and to Paul 2,000 years ago and speaking in our midst today. He will be saying the same things until there is no time and we are all perfectly one in him. We can draw comfort from that. Our God is a rock. He's a rock from which flows the one thing we crave and share above all else. Life. Abundant, glorious, pure, wonderful life from Jesus Christ our Savior. And it's real. It's right there in us. We have it and we'll never lose it. For eternity, we have that life. And whether they know it or not, every human being born into this world craves that life. And most of, it look, most of them look for it in the wrong places. Christ begins where religion ends. Religion offers rules, rites, rituals, orthodoxy, doctrines, programs, and methods. Christ brings life in us and through us and brings us into a spiritual union that is better experienced than explained. If I were to ask you, I can't explain it. And if you can, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to know. I'd make a sermon out of it. What we have is so otherworldly and so wonderful. We, we can read about it. But that experience in us, it's very difficult to put into words. Very difficult to explain. Except we know it's real. Our Savior's resurrection life within us makes us whole. There are religions to suit every taste. There's even a religion called Marxism which says there is no religion. Marxism is a satanic religion as much as any other satanic religion. But only those who have been born again by the Spirit of the living God can experience the life of the living God. A Christian is characterized by intimate friendship with God. Religion tells us this is impossible. To claim our Creator as a close friend, both Abba and Father, is uniquely Christian and is viewed by many as, if not most, as wishful thinking at best or blasphemy at worst. But the newest, weakest Christian will tell you it's true. I met Jesus and everything changed. Don't know how. Don't know what happened inside me, but something happened, and it's real. It is true in us individually, and it is true in us as a corporate body of Christ. A moment ago, we sang that glorious old hymn, 
about the mystical sweet communion shared with God and with each other. Paul called it fellowship of the Spirit. The many drawn to Christ come together in the divine unity so that the full measure of his stature and wisdom and power and glory may be revealed in the church to a world lost in darkness. And beyond this world, that is our temporary home, there is a vast universe wherein dwell entities who learn of God's wisdom and see God's glory revealed through our lives as we walk with him and unite to worship him. Hallelujah. What a God. What a salvation. What an incredible destiny we share in this life. Amen. Father, please bless us.